Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Hi guys, and welcome back to the 49er Faithful UK Show. We've just been absolutely thumped by the Seahawks in week 13. Um, with myself and Brian today, we have Simon Brown. Hello, Simon. Hi, Lee. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Thanks for letting me jump on the pod. Loving the work you've been doing so far. It's really entertaining. We've been wanting to do this for a while now because, uh, as, as Simon, uh, as Brian keeps on saying, people tend to get sick of both mine and Brian's voice listening to the same opinion every week. So it's good to have somebody else's opinion. So do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Simon? Yeah, um, I um, had a 50-50 coin flip about uh, 30 years ago when my father took me to Wembley to watch an exhibition game um, between the Miami Dolphins and the 49ers. Thankfully, I chose the Niners because the Dolphins ran out and I just did not like their uniforms. I thought there is no way I can support a team that uh, wear that kind of colour. So I've been a faithful for um, best part of 30 years now, um, have followed them through the fun bit and have stuck with them through the not-so-fun bit, as most of the faithful have. We have the most appropriate um, supporter-based name, I think, especially at the moment. Yeah, um, can't argue with that. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't um, tend to miss much thanks to the wonders of Game Pass these days when it's working. Um, so taking every game every week and uh, looking forward to the glory days returning, which are on the horizon. They're a little bit further away than we hope they might be, but they are on the horizon, I'm sure of it. Yeah, well, we can only hope. Um, obviously, if you've ever listened to our show, you'd know I'm the... Uh, forever optimist i i always see it as that the sun's just about to rise rather than set um and i, I think brian <laughs> if he doesn't mind us saying is possibly on the opposite side of that um he, he's not too pessimistic but i i think brian leads with his head i lead with me heart so whenever we do predictions <laughs> always go with brian's prediction not mine <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much had I it spot on, on uh, spot on Sunday. You did, you did. That was a very good prediction. And uh, I, I was only close on one side of the scoreline, um, predicting that the 49ers would only get 15, um, but nowhere near where the Seahawks were. So where do you come from, Simon? Uh, I'm based down in south of England, just outside London, about half an hour south of London. Um, been a, a southeast boy all my life. All right. So it's fairly easy for you to get to the National Series games at Wembley? Yes, I'm one of the ones that can't complain about them all being played at Wembley because it's kind of a 40-minute drive for me. So I, I sympathise with you guys up north, but I, I fully understand the reasoning behind uh, NFL UK's insistence and, and the NFL's insistence on, on playing it at Wembley. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I enjoy going down to Wembley. It's a good weekend experience for myself because I take my kids down, I take my wife down, and I've also gotten my older brother, his wife, and their two kids into American football as well. So there's eight of us travel down now for the National Series game, and we make a, whole, a full weekend of it. 
Yeah, it just particularly when you have a year like this year where they put three games back to back to back. I can imagine that um, if I mean, even just as somebody that's only got to jump in the car for 45 minutes, it's an expensive month. But to have to travel half the distance um, of the country and and bring, as as you do, seven people with you, I should imagine that's prohibitive to do three games. And you certainly wouldn't want to be doing that every year. So this is the first year that I've actually missed a game since the IS series has been on. Um, so the Seahawks Raiders game was the very first international series game I haven't been to. That's been held in the UK. Excellent choice. Yeah, there was <laughs> absolutely one. That's the one to miss. <laughs> yeah, there was absolutely no way I was going to that game. I had no fancy for that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I've been to every other game. Um, and yeah, you're right. It, it does become quite costly with having to start, stay in a hotel overnight, which means generally to save money, as soon as the games finish, we travel home. So. Mm-hmm. Before the early kickoffs came in, and it was a six o'clock kickoff, I wouldn't get in the house until half two in the morning. So it was tiring as well. So almost like watching a 49ers game, the joys of picking yeah. a West Coast team. Yeah, pretty much. So have you been out of San Francisco? I have, yes. I've I've been in the fortunate position um, the last 10 years or so that I've worked for a firm that had an office based in um, San Clemente, which is about an hour south of Los Angeles. Uh, so I always managed to coincide trips out there for um, early to mid-September. And on three or four occasions, I was lucky enough to have some free time to be able to fly up to San Fran and, and catch a few games at Candlestick. I haven't been to Levi's yet. Um, but I've been to Candlestick, I think, four times whilst it was still in existence. And what was your impression of Candlestick? Because it always got a really bad reputation for being a, a bit of a dump. It, it was that, but it was a beautiful dump and it was our dump. I mean, by by modern day standards, it, it it's just not functional as an NFL stadium, which is why it no longer exists. But um, it it was akin to without wishing to offend anybody it was like walking into your grandma's house it's it's full of history and stories and legacy and you can relate to almost everything that's there but it really really needed knocking down and rebuilding you know it it absolutely steeped in history um but it it just didn't function as a a a a multi-purpose venue but even just as an nfl venue it was a very very tired stadium she was beautiful but she was tired yeah, I think the problem was she was also steeped in something else as well, and that that kind of put people <laughs> off going to the game. <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah. agree with well, all of that. Like grandma's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, funny smell. Um, but it was, it's a bit uh, like Yoroka Park in your own park, isn't it? That well, they were they were dumps, but they were our dumps, and uh, you know you can only sustain football at a certain level with a stadium like that, can't you? And you're never really gonna branch out too much further uh, with without. Uh, the expansion in, into a new stadium and and unfortunately they all do look a little bit soulless and a little bit the same doesn't it it's just the uh, the number of the seats and the color of the seats that that um change in a lot of our football stadiums over here unfortunately you do yeah. lose a lot of the character yeah definitely you, you must have read my mind because that's the example i was going to use with us being a sunderland fan rocker park i absolutely loved rocker park yeah but as a top flight football ground it was completely penned in by houses, so you couldn't really expand it. There was no scope to do that. And the only option that Sunderland were left with were, was to move out to a new uh, stadium, which, I mean, yeah, the stadium... Same might at Reading a, Elm Park. 
Yeah. Stadium Mike, it's a lovely stadium. Um and it does have a little bit of character, but it does look very similar to any other modern stadium nowadays. Um so you yeah. do lose a bit of the character there. And I can definitely guarantee Levi's is the same as that. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen the YouTube vlogs I did last Thanksgiving when I was over there. Um, so that was the third time I'd been over to Levi's. And last year, it actually felt a bit more like a San Francisco 49ers stadium that brought back the Ring of Honor, that, that put a lot more of the history around the, around the ground, around the stadium. And it felt a lot better than it did the first two times I went out there. Back in 2014, which was my first visit, uh, the inaugural season, it just felt very clinical. Everything was clean. Mm. There wasn't much at all to recognise the the triumphs of the past. And that was very disappointing. It was like coming into a stadium and it just didn't feel as it was the 49ers. It could have been an away game. Yeah, the corporate effect. Yeah, and that's what one of one of John Lynch's first victories for me was that he he kind of grew up around that era and knew and understood what Eddie DiBartolo was all about, and Shanahan obviously more intrinsically so was part of that, and they got what it meant to be a Forty Nine er, and I think one of the first things they did and did very well was reinstill some of that into what, as you said, Lee, was a very soulless and clinical looking stadium and actually made it a, a not necessarily a stadium with history but a stadium for a team with history and and brought some of that back yeah so is levi's in your plans for the near future well rather selfishly my uh, employers closed the california office a couple of years ago oh, um, dare they? <laughs> yeah i know I, I was distraught so i i now have to go to boston instead i i shower vigorously every time i leave um <laughs> so it it's it's going to be a little more difficult to engineer trips to uh, encompass a game but um, i was out in boston um earlier this season and unfortunately it was the week we were playing detroit at Santa Clara because I got quite excited because I thought, well, Boston to Detroit, it's only about a two hour flight. I could do that. And then I realized it was the other way around. So, but it's on the, it's on the, um, the itinerary. It's just getting the work trips to, um, tie up to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. So when you did go over and visit Candlestick, did, did you stay in downtown San Francisco? Yeah, we just, um, it was kind of a, a bit of a last minute thing. Um, if I remember correctly, one of the trips we went over, we kind of decided on the flight over there that we had time to take in a game. Um, so it was all a bit last minute and we stayed in a um, less than salubrious um, three-star hotel in central downtown San Francisco. And the best bit about it was the view out the window because we were right opposite the uh, Guggenheim Museum in San Fran. Right. Um, but yeah, we had, we had a couple of hours in the morning to have a little wander around sort of downtown San Francisco, which was an experience in itself, L an incredible place. Yeah. Beautiful city, beautiful city, but it's also blighted by the, the, the amount of homeless people there is. Obviously that's a huge problem for the city. Um, I, I think they are taking steps to try and do something about it. Um, but the steps that they're taking, I don't think meets everybody's taste. No, and unfortunately, uh, I think they're um, addressing it from the wrong end rather than addressing the root cause of that. Um, and I mean, the property prices and, and rental prices in San Francisco 
at the moment are astronomically high. It's yeah. no wonder that people can't roof over their heads, you know. So rather than looking at ways to address that and comes back to the good old affordable housing without wanting to get too political, but that rather than addressing that, they're they're putting in kind of trying to put plasters on a, a deep wound and it's as you would expect, not being hugely effective so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this isn't the first podcast that you've been on. Um, I believe you were involved with the Gridiron Gentleman as one of their hosts. Do you want to tell us how how that came about? Yeah, I've I've been um, part of the gents um, for about three years now. Um, I started um, up a a blog um, a few years ago just for me to kind of get some of my thoughts out there about football and opinions on things. And it, it was relatively 49er centric, but covered other aspects of the game um, at the same time. And I, I kind of send a few pieces into them to see if they wanted to use them on the website and so on and so forth. And then they'd kind of asked me to write something in particular. And then they were short one week. It's like, oh, would you want to come on and, and do kind of 10 minutes on the pod just to fill some time? And I never left. I, I never got away. So All we right. do that every every week now and and now we're doing two shows a week every week um during the regular season so but yeah it's it's four guys and and much the same as yourselves we're just guys that love football we love watching football we love talking about football um we don't necessarily get it right every week but everybody has an opinion everybody's opinion is valid unless your surname is cone but we won't go into that one um yeah yeah yeah, yeah, blocked by all of them. I'm proud to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we just love we just love talking football, and and through the off season we kind of go through. We put together our top tens of each position group, and we do mock drafts and and get the guys on the social media involved. And so yeah, it's a lot of fun. We love doing it. Fantastic. So you'll be nice and comfortable with what we're going to do next, and that is to go into the game review of the Seahawks game. So the the I performance. a good week to come on, didn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way the season's gone, uh, I, I don't think there's been many good weeks that you could have come on. Yeah, no, it'll be nice for someone else to take over and talk about it. I'll just sit back and let you carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, the game against the Seahawks, from my point of view, the, the performance fluctuated between being as bad as it was last week against the Bucks to being some of the best passing football we've played all season. Injuries yet again took their toll as we'd lost both Breda and Wilson for spells during the game. Um, so that wasn't ideal. And an interesting stat, we, we were actually part of history last night as that was the very first time ever a game has ended 43-16 in the NFL. It would have been nice for being on the other side of the score though whenever anybody brings up uh, that part of history. But you can't have everything. Um, what, what was your view of the game Brian? Um, well, that was probably the first game in a long time that I've really been unenthused about sitting down and watching. Um, and I think NFL Red Zone thought the same because they barely showed any of the game when uh, it was only when the other three games were in break or, or the, at half time that they actually showed us. Um, to be honest, it's it's becoming a, a little bit of a chore and a bit tedious now, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just how are we going to get blown out or are we going to find a spectacular new way to cock it up in the last minute? And, um, 
yeah, I'm not sure what's worse, getting blown out in the way that we have the last couple of weeks or or losing in those sort of new agonizing ways that we seem to we seem to find. Um yeah, ten straight defeats to Seattle now. Um I did watch it back again today and I thought we showed a bit of spirit in the end. There was some good passing plays in there, but it's very easy to play when you're twenty points down, isn't it? The defence the defence are giving you all that soft coverage and, and they're pretty much saying, Well, we're gonna bend not break and we're happy to give you all these yards before they sort of put the squeeze on when you get down to the red zone. So I'm not too excited about Mullins having a 400-yard game, but an interesting fact that the last quarterback to do it was a game that I was actually at, and that was Colin Kaepernick in September 2013 against Green Bay, which was in the last season at Candlestick Park. So, um, so yeah, he's in sort of a very small company because the guy who did it before that was Tim Rattay. That is a throwback. I know, right? So, and if if you look at like the, the history of quarterbacks that we've got, and then you you put the the three all time leading game yardage leaders at, on top of those, it just doesn't look right, does it? <laughs> no, no, it's not exactly right, no. the creme de la creme, is it? It's not, is it? No, and um, yeah, I thought the rushing game was okay. Um, like I say, the pass game, the, the statistics were nice, but there wasn't enough points. Um, Mullins had that sack that took us out of the scoring range on the one drive and then threw the pick at, at the goal line. Um, defensively, I mean, it was just poor all, all over the shop, wasn't it? It was the most yards we've allowed all season rushing and pass defence. Yeah, I mean, Wilson barely threw the ball for the whole game, did he? But he, he had a weird stat at half time that 75% of his completions had gone for touchdowns by half time because he'd <laughs> yeah, only, yeah. Um, yeah, three. He, he had four completions, three of which went for touchdowns. Um, and then I thought special teams were poor. It, you know, it was, uh, yeah, just a, not a particularly pleasant evening all round. But I hate to say it, but, it, you know, I saw it coming. Yeah, yeah, I know you did. So, Simon, how did last night's performance and scoreline align to your expectations prior to the game? I can't say I was surprised come the end of it, but there's there's always something about, I mean, every game when you go in as a Niners fan, you kind of, especially at the moment, you kind of think, well, yeah, we're probably not going to win, but we should match up quite well here. There's something about Seahawks games, for me personally, before the game, you always just get that little flash of, oh, this could be the one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> even Even last night, there was just this kind of wild little voice in the back of your head going, Maybe, just maybe, if they get the run game go, and then two minutes in, you're like, oh no, okay, same old, same old. Um, I I was really disappointed with the first half. Um, not so much in the fact that we only put three points on the board. Not so much in the fact that Seattle were scoring on us almost at will. I kind of expected both of those. It was the fact that we didn't seem to care about it, and the players looked like they'd quit. And and that annoys me when a team decides that they're going to quit or playing like they've quit. I mean, I, I felt a little bit sorry for Malcolm Smith because he was clearly getting picked on. But when you're trying to cover Tyler Lockett, you have to give props to Pete Carroll as much as I hate doing it because it was just an instant 
kind of assessment that that's the guy we need to pick on and this is how we're going to do it and it's going to work every time which is why Mm -hmm. as you said Brian Russell Wilson just had those mad stats at halftime because I think at one stage he completed three of four for two touchdowns and 100 yards 97 of which had been given up by Malcolm Smith Mm. and it was just Seattle were just in tune with what was going on and, and how to exploit it and the first half we just looked like we were there to be used as training dummies like the little pylons that they drive around on the practice field um and i think that annoyed me more than the fact that we'd given up 19 points to seattle there was just no fight there until shanahan showed them how to fight um they seemed just lackluster do you think that the interception was a major turning point do you think it stopped us getting back into the game or do you not think it made a difference I, it certainly um, kind of killed the momentum we were building. Um, I'm not sure in the general scheme of things it had a, a huge influence. I think um, probably the margin of victory got over-exaggerated because of it. It seems a fairly obvious thing to say, but I think maybe if we had have stayed a little bit closer to them for a little bit longer, we we probably would have been a little bit more interested um and maybe would have changed how they approached it as well um the one that annoyed me more um was probably the fumble quote unquote which just wasn't i said i said at the time the calling um on the field at the time was going to be the key factor because when there's a a a turnover like that or an alleged turnover like that you're never going to get clear incontrovertible evidence from the video footage to be able to overturn it so if they had called him down you probably would have just rolled with that because you couldn't have proven that he wasn't but the fact that they ruled it a fumble there wasn't enough to overturn it and i think if we had have scored on that drive we probably would have been more at the races for longer into the game which would, would have made it slightly less painful yeah yeah i think that was the major thing that really annoyed me last night with the fumble um i think i mentioned it as well on the game day thread as as soon as the call out on the field i I got this really bad feeling i thought i I can't see how they can possibly call out a fumble because nobody could see what happened there's basically two players on top of each other you've absolutely no idea when the ball came out but they've given the benefit of the doubt to the defense instead of the offense and that, that's come back to bite us because it definitely looked as though he was on his back before that ball started to move. But it wasn't clear enough to change the decision. And because it had been called on the field, then you can't do anything about it. And it's not the first yeah. time this season where we've been at the the rough end of a bad decision like that. It, it kind of... It, it just gets on top of you... When you've got all your bad players, you've got your bad tackling, pass coverage was an embarrassment last night. I mean, even Sherman was getting ripped apart time and time again. And then we suddenly go into self-destruct mode, penalties, penalties, and more penalties. Shanahan's completely forgiven for that. He he can have that penalty. He deserved that one. So, I mean, thumbs up when you saw it. I was over the moon that he had that kind of reaction. Um, I've got that down as a positive. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a positive that that. So I'm letting him off with that one. So I'm glad he did it, yeah. rather than just stand yeah. there and take it. And then you look at the injuries. I, I actually have our our pass coverage 
down as as something of a positive. Um, I mean, okay, one or two plays given up and a couple of really just crazy pass interference calls that were correctly called a few that weren't but a, a couple of them i don't know what it is with our our defensive backs this year but the coaching is not teaching them to turn their head so many pi calls where they're playing the man and you just just no idea where the ball is just get your head round, and then if you do make contact you're going to get away with it because you are playing the ball quote unquote but i think our our defensive back coverage was actually I'm not going to say better than it's been all season, but was actually showing improvement again because there were quite a few times there where we had the uh, the possibility of getting a coverage sack on Wilson if a he wasn't covered in Teflon and b Mike Sala didn't ins- uh, Robert Sala didn't insist on rushing with three all the time. So I I think the the coverage issues that we experienced last night were predominantly that underneath stuff where we're asking the linebackers to go out in coverage and we just do not have the linebacking core to go out in coverage on on slot receivers and the likes of Tyler Lockett. That's You're just going to get burned every single time. What, what do we think of Enzonka taking over from Elijah Lee? So obviously at the start of the season, what? we had uh, Reuben Foster suspended uh, three, game, three, four games. I can't remember now. It's that long ago. Um, but Elijah Lee came in and he played absolutely outstanding. So as soon as we released Foster, I would have expected Elijah Lee to come straight in and, and take over from Foster because he played that well at the start of the season. But instead, we've got Enzonga. Yeah, and I think that's a little insight into um, maybe some of the issues we have defensively at the moment in that we aren't necessarily playing personnel in the right place and therefore we're not getting the best out of them um i mean i know uh, elijah lee prefers um kind of playing fred warner's spot which is why obviously he's second in the pecking order he's not hugely impressive at the strong side but i think he did a better job than Enzoka's done so far um uh, dakota watson is the obvious choice but I'm surprised that even when it wasn't working and it wasn't working yesterday, we didn't see more of Lee put back in. And I haven't seen him listed on any injury reports or anything that would keep him sidelined. So I think that's a, a person, another personnel decision that's that's slightly questionable. Yeah, but it all depends on what the end result was that you were looking for. So th- th- this is obviously a controversial statement to make, and it's something that we talked about in one of our previous episodes. We're at a stage of the season where you're better off putting all your fringe players in, finding out exactly what you've got from those fringe players, whether or not you're going to re-sign them or whether or not you're just going to cut them in the off-season, um, make a roster space for somebody else to come in and lose games by stealth and cement that number one overall pick rather than turn around to the players and say, go out and lose this one, guys. I want the number one pick. Because the players aren't going to do that. The, the players will play for themselves. To, to an extent, uh, and that's why I think it's a controversial statement to make. But when you look at the game last night, you, you've got Enzoka, he's, he's playing, I would have expected Elijah Lee to play. You've got uh, Marcel Harris coming in for his debut. You've got Julian Taylor coming in from his, for his debut. Obviously, uh, last week we promoted Jeff Wilson from the practice squad. We've already done that with Matt Dears, but obviously that's to cover injuries as well. I just get this feeling that the coaching staff, 
for what they say in interviews afterwards, they've kind of resigned themselves to getting that number one pick and they've kind of got it in their head, well, if we do get that number one pick, we can be so much stronger next year. And obviously, we've got all the injuries. People say, you can't keep on saying it's the injuries that are causing these defeats. Of course you can. We've lost QB1, RB1, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and wide receiver three have missed huge chunks of the season. We, we've lost what we should have had as a leader in the middle of the defence. We, we're losing people left, right and centre and people keep on saying you can't use it as an excuse. And I can't see how you cannot use it as an excuse for the results. Performances, yeah. You, you can't use it as an excuse for the people who are actually on there. And as you've already mentioned, Simon, some of them look as though they've just quit. I, I think it was mentioned about uh, Pierre Garçon in the Tampa Bay game. He was on the sidelines just laughing and joking while the team were getting absolutely pummeled. Injuries doesn't cause that. That's just an attitude problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the season goes, you definitely have to take the injuries into consideration. Undoubtedly. I mean, you you, you know, you could have a Formula One car parked on your drive, but if it's probably a terrible analogy, but if you've got three of the spark plugs are broken, it's going to drive like a Ford Fiesta, isn't it? And no matter how many different tyres and stripes and extra bits you put on it, it's still going to drive like a Ford Fiesta because you're missing some of the key components that make it what it is. So, yeah, the the people that, that say injuries are being used as an excuse don't understand the significance of the injured players to A, the roster depth, but B, how that offensive scheme and defensive schemes are constructed and how losing those pieces impacts that and the knock-on effects. I mean, I had a, a, a conversation during the game last night with somebody about why um, kick returns weren't being handled by uh, Dante Pettis and why Richie James was being put back there. And it's Well, yeah, Dante Pettis is probably the better returner, but he's also the better wide receiver. So you don't want to risk him on a kick return and be even more depleted at wide receiver. And it's just that residual knock-on effect every time. When a guy goes down, you've got to move somebody from somewhere else that then makes that personnel grouping weaker. And it, it, it just expands and compounds on itself. And it's just so infuriating because you look at some games where we were competitive. Okay, we still found a way to lose it. but And you think, oh, if we just had such and such or if we just did this and we had the ability to do that you can see how the whole dynamic of a game would be flipped on its head and uh, how Carl Shanahan isn't grey I do not know <laughs> yeah yeah so obviously there, there was a lot that went wrong last night on the field um, judging by the score if you hadn't watched the game and just looked at the score I think at this stage of the season there's a lot of 49er fans would probably not even bother looking at the forty, the game in 40. But there was positives to be had as well. Um, for instance, you've already mentioned Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis put in a career day, racking up 129 yards on five receptions and, and bagged himself a couple of touchdowns in the process. And he, he looked a lot better than what he's looked all season long. And that's probably to do with the kick and he got from Carl Shanahan early on in the week where he basically called him out and said, you really need to step up and start showing why we took you in the third round. Second round. Sorry, second round, yeah. So what what other positives can you take from last night's game? 
I, I mean, I, th- I think the the development of Pettis is going to be key this season, and I think they should just throw it at him pretty much all game, every game from here on out, just for him to be um, developed as a receiver that can deal with less than ideal conditions because next year when he comes back and you've then got Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball to him, I mean, he has the abilities to be an absolute star, certainly on our offense, but in the in the league as a whole. I mean, his feet and his hip movements are just ridiculous. If you actually just watch his roots on the All-22 coaches films, when he digs his hips and runs a hook route the defender's four yards gone before he's realized he's even stopped and turned so he's getting that separation on almost every route that he runs and i think we just need to keep kind of hammering on him and developing him to deal with the the adverse conditions so that when things are a lot smoother and a lot calmer and a lot brighter from a receiving standpoint he he can just kind of take off um literally because he's quick too but uh, i think you can as I say, I think you can draw a positive from some of the coverage yesterday because you're dealing with some very quick wide receivers, but also some very good receivers. I mean, Doug Baldwin's one of the best route running receivers in football at the moment. And by and large, apart from Sherman trying to lay the hammer on him and missing completely, we kept him relatively quiet. We kept him pretty well covered. Um, the play from the offensive line continues to be solid. I know we didn't really get the run game going, although Wilson put some decent runs in, but I think that offensive line is quite a stable unit at the moment. And that has to be a positive because the offensive line we've been dealing with for the last two or three years has been horrific. Um, but the, there's just not a massive amount you can take at the moment, A, because we're changing personnel so much and B, because the level of um, stupidity is the only word for it that we experience every second drive, it seems, just kind of brings everybody back down a little bit. So, But I think maybe Marcel Harris is somebody to look at. I'm I'm surprised Anton Exum hasn't seen more because the two games that he's started, he's played really well. Um, And I think Marcel Harris looks like a flexible one that we can use in the middle because he kept switching between strong and free safety last night and looked relatively comfortable in both. So... There are some positives, but not many from yesterday. Not many at all. Yeah. Um, so, Jeff Wilson, I think he's proven quite versatile in the attack. 134 yards from scrimmage last night. And that's carrying an injury as well. Um, so, come the off-season, it's going to be quite a controversy at running back. We'd have McKinnon back. McKinnon back. We've got Breda. We'll have Jeff Wilson. And possibly, even if we re-sign him, Mostert. So we're going to have four running backs who are very good. Yeah, I think I think Wilson would step in and kind of assume that Alfred Morris role because he's a he's a I know he was used as the predominant back yesterday, but I think he's a good complementary back to the likes of Breeder and McKinnon, um, which then means we don't need Morris. And of course, Wilson's going to cost a lot less than Morris. Um, and I think we see most of it go back to being special teams, which is which in reality is probably where he belongs. Um, it's only the injury procession that kind of forced him into the the starting offense. So I think there's scope to keep the four because obviously you've got Jusic as well and, and you have to you have to account for him because he's a pivotal piece in a fully staffed Shanahan offense. Um, 
he's having to do the more conventional fullback stuff at the moment, I think. But when Shanahan's got all his weapons available, the 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 use of juice is key. So I I think there's room for Wilson. Um, I'm not sure there's room for Wilson and Morris. Yeah, yeah. Well, Morris, I mean, Morris is only on a one-year contract, I believe, so he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and he came in as a came in as a stopgap and and he probably knows he's only there as a stopgap so we've got four on the books now and i think we could carry four next year as well realistically so that's probably is the perfect analogy for alfred morris coming in as a stopgap because he sees a gap and he stops that's (laughs) that's why we call him treacle toes (laughs) so infuriating i think think he's a vampire (laughs) yeah i think you're right so what surprised me last night was the Seattle Seahawks all line. They, they looked a lot better than what I was expecting. However, we still managed to produce some pressure on them, um, sacking Wilson three times, Buckner getting a couple, and he's now only one sack away from double digits, and he would be the first 49er to do this since Alden Smith back in 2011. And it kind of emphasises how bad we are, or how bad we have been, at pass rush over the last few years. Yeah, and that's that's personnel. And that's that kind of harks back to this off-season where I think the front office knew how much money they had and knew how much they could spend. And I think they were actively trying not to spend it because I think they, obviously, they realised pretty quickly they wanted to throw a lot of money at, at Jimmy G. But I think they perhaps could have been a little bit more aggressive. I mean, by all intents and purposes, the Khalil Mack deal would have been more favourable to the Raiders if if we had have done it rather than the Bears had done it. Certainly in terms of draft position, it's going to look that way. Um, But from everything John Lynch has said, we offered, he keeps saying, an incredibly attractive proposition for Khalil Mack, which makes me think we offered more than the Bears did without him actually coming out and flat out saying that. Um, and it's it's things like that that people will criticise Lynch and Shanahan and, and Jed York and the Niners as a whole because, well, you haven't got a pass rush. We knew we needed pass rush. We offered the crown jewels for Khalil Mack. If the Raiders don't want to trade him to us, they're not going to trade him to us. So if, if the Raiders had said yes and we had Khalil Mack and he was doing for us what he's doing for Chicago – there would be a whole different outlook on it. And I know that's football and the truth of the matter is we don't still have a pass rush, but it's not always within our control. So I, I'm slightly critical of it because I don't think they did enough in free agency to address a clearly weak position group. Um, but when the opportunity arose, we, by the sounds of it, went all out for it and weren't allowed to kind of come through on that because it wasn't in our control to be able to do so. So I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on the criticism on that one. But this free agency and this draft, we absolutely, I'd like to see us go after edge rushes like we normally do cornerbacks. And let's pick up two or three and then decide who we want to keep. Yeah, yeah. We, we definitely need that aspect of OPM improving drastically. And to do that, uh, if we do that, sorry, I think that'll make the other areas so much better I mean it's good and well it's all good and well saying that uh, the likes of Witherspoon Witherspoon's had a really bad season this year nowhere near as good as last year if we'd had a decent pass rush 
I think his stats and his play would be a lot more, uh, a lot better than what it has been this season. I think it stands out a lot because he's been picked on time and time again because the opposing quarterback has so much time to wait for the wide receiver to finally make a break and get there and get the ball to him. So, yeah, pass rush, we, we definitely need to do something about that uh, and get somebody to help Buckner get more sacks. And hopefully the, the, the draft will be the time where we can pick up some winners. Well, it's certainly the year to need edge talent. Yeah, yeah. Nick Bosa looks really good and he's somebody that excites me as far as taking him as a number one overall pick is concerned. If we are number one, and it is looking likely we're going to be number one, and in fact I've got that down as the positive, we're still in poor position for the number one pick. I mean, any any other season yeah. probably shouldn't be a positive, but at the moment it's a positive. Yeah, Cardinals, Giants and Buccaneers all won. Yeah, so at the moment there's only the Raiders who looking likely to challenge us for that uh, number one overall pick. And to be honest, I mean, this Sunday, this coming Sunday against Denver Broncos, I think that's our last chance, last reasonable chance for a win. Um, we're not going to do the Seahawks at Levi's. We're not going to do the Rams. And in all reality, the Broncos are going to walk all over us as well. I think we might do the Rams just for the same reason we did the Rams last year as well. Yeah. That they'll be playing that they'll be playing their third string come the last week of the season because the way the NFC is shaped up the last couple of weeks, I think they're going to have um, the number one seed locked up and put away quite comfortably. So I think there is the option to get a, a garbage time win against the Rams, and as meaningless as it will be, I'll take it because I love beating the Rams. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think in real terms. The Broncos is probably the the best shot we've got of a victory out of the remainder of our games, and even that's an outside bet. Yeah, yeah. Got any more positives, Brian? Uh, yeah, Dante Pettis is the first 49ers to get over 100 yards against Seattle since Vernon Davis in 2009, and he's the first wide receiver to do it since Isaac Bruce in 2008. Yeah, that's a long time coming. Surprised me that we haven't had a wide receiver go for 100 yards at, against Seattle for uh, 10 years. Um, yeah, it was good to see the youngsters getting out there again. You know, like, like you've covered there, Marcel Harris, Julian Taylor, Jeff Wilson, all getting out there, getting involved. It's uh, it's good to see those guys getting out there because it's it's this stage of the season where where we've got the the capability and the option to to put them out there and and evaluate them. You don't want to be forced into seeing what they can do potentially in a playoff run at some point. Do you know what I mean? So now is a good chance to get them out there where there's, I wouldn't say minimal pressure on them, but they can go out there and sort of prove a point that they do belong here for next season once this uh, roster's vastly improved. Yeah. So one one thing I wasn't planning on doing in this podcast, um, but I mentioned to Brian earlier on today, I'm not going to be in a position to do the the normal preview show this week. And uh, I think from the preview show, the most important thing as far as something to look forward to or something to watch to see if it actually happens is the predictions. Um, so in lieu of not having a preview show this week, do you want to give a prediction for the Broncos game on Sunday? 
Oh, Simon. I was just about to say, I'll pass that over to Simon, with Simon being the guest. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> throw, me on, throw me under the bus. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult. The, the Broncos seem to have kind of figured out, and we discussed it on, on the uh, Gents podcast a few weeks ago, they, the coaching staff there actually deserve some credit, I think, because they've kind of understood what they do and don't have right now, and they're adjusting how they play. I mean, they're leaning on Lindsay like there's no tomorrow, which is wholly understandable because he's having an incredible year for an undrafted guy. He's he's definitely, definitely got what it takes. Um, so they're kind of adapting what they do. And I think offensively, we are set up quite well to stifle that run game as good as Lindsay is and as well as, as he and Freeman are running the ball, we're actually set up defensively pretty well if Salah heads that way. And he did it first half um, in the Seattle game and, and Solomon Thomas was moved inside a little bit more, which is where I think he plays better. He gets a lot of stick for when he's pushed out to kind of the five gap and that's not where he plays. He needs to be in kind of the three gap alongside Buckner. Um and I think if he does that and kind of sets us up to key on the run to start with, I think we can quieten down that offensive game plan and put the pressure back on Case Keenum. And if you put the pressure back on Case Keenum, he's going to throw you a few bones. So I think we need a few stars to align defensively, but I think we can potentially keep that offense quieter than it has been the past couple of weeks. Um, what worries me is the defensive side of the ball for for Denver. They're firing on all cylinders again now and that's dangerous and if Mullins doesn't settle back down again and the second half probably did him a lot of good against Seattle because although it was garbage yards and they were giving him some soft reads he was still finding his rhythm and and when he gets in that hurry up offense he actually looks more comfortable than huddling down every time he seems to be a more of an up-tempo kind of quarterback so I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect it to be but I, I still think we're just destined not to not to be hugely competitive again now for the rest of the season. So I'd say it's probably a, a, a two-score game in Denver's favour, um, something along the lines of maybe 24-14, something like that. Yeah, 24-14. Brian? Yeah, it's not far from away from what I was thinking. I don't know what the over-under is, but it's one of those games that, looking at it, I think I'll take the under anyway. Um, I'd probably say it's going to be something like it's going to be a terrible game. It's going to end. It's going to be like a 2010. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a real, a real sort of hard one to watch again. 2010. Right. So I'm going to go. I'm not going to lead with my heart this time. I'm going my head. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a Denver Broncos win, and I, I think it's going to be a lot closer and what uh, the pair of you have predicted there. And I'm going to go with 21-17. I think we'll get a couple of touchdowns and a field goal. And I think, to be honest, after the last two weeks, 21... Did I just say 21-10 there? 21-17. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, got the right one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th I think 21-17 is possibly a, a palatable scoreline given what's happened to us over the last two weeks. But you never yeah, know, and you, you'd, you'd have to think John Lynch has, has got something on this, and to a certain extent, Carl Shanahan will have something on this with it being the Broncos. We've got front office 
um, staff in there that have Broncos history. So there's there's going to be meaning on this. So you'd hope that the players would be revved up for it, um, particularly after the showing they put out this week. So it, it's one of the, it's going to be another one of those games when. 5.30 on Sunday rolls around and you sit there and think, do you know what? We we might just... Oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More than likely. Right. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you, Brian, for joining again and hosting. No worries. Thank you. Um, so on to week 14 against the Denver Broncos at Levi Stadium. Only three more games left. And I, I'll tell you what, I think... The Broncos game is the only one I'm looking forward to at the moment. The Seattle Seahawks at home, I think they're going to embarrass us again. And the LA Rams, even if they play the third string, the way we've played the last two weeks, I think we'll struggle. So I'm not really looking forward to that one either. Um, But we'll continue, and I'll continue to be optimistic and probably belie my um, concerns at the scoreline and, and choose us for a win for that last game. But uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens over the next fortnight. Right. Thanks for joining, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep heart. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget.